Welcome to the Cinema Draft Podcast, presented by DraftStream, a discussion show about movies, gaming, and the unexpected cultural detours that color our life. Please enjoy your stay and enjoy the show. Welcome back. It's your boy, Eduardo Jackson, CEO, founder, creator of the great Cinema Draft game, here to extend a warm welcome to our first time pod virgin, <laughs> and of all things Belgium, entertainment enthusiast extraordinaire, and there is the first time my video goes out today, get used to it, <laughs> so annoying, we're almost past you Zoom, damn it, WebEx, I'm coming for you. Is WebEx better? WebEx. It's it's different. <laughs> We're working on it. <laughs> Anyways, she's here. The woman I call my pop culture tether. It's the one. It's the only. Catherine Sarah Clags Brun or Brun? Brun. Brun. Mm -hmm. It's a hard name. <laughs> yes. Okay, SK, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. Glad to have you. Tonight's Andy Cohen inspired Watch What Happens Live style drinking game tonight shall be the word euro every time you hear one of us say this word take a sip of what you're sipping because tonight's pod will cover our favorite movies taking place in the wonderfully diverse continent of europe aka the continent do they call it the continent over there catherine i believe so yeah all right and actually and, and you know i'm gonna call you ksk because that's how i know you from our entertainment slack group do you have any other nicknames anything you feel comfortable with tonight no that's fine that works KSK, all right. The, the notorious KSK. All right, yeah. so, and apparently you've told me off camera that you've taken this very seriously, but with the global coronavirus pandemic, hashtag Datrona, forcing us all to stay home, the social contract is on fire. Damn it, I just want to hear something good. Tell me something good, Catherine. This is a tough one. I mean, what is there? I mean, like many people, not going anywhere. I've gotten very into gardening, which is very low, low stakes. What are you planting? What are you gardening? Well, we have a lot of things growing. Um, so far, we're getting some tomatoes, some cucumbers, some kohlrabi, radishes, herbs, you know. Real food you can use. All right. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty, pretty, pretty basic. <laughs> All right, so gardening is something good. All right, I'll take that. Yeah, I feel like a lot of people are turning to this now. I don't know. What about you? What, gardening? No. Uh, as far as something good, um, I don't know. I See, it's hard. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you're absolutely right. I will say I've, I'm plowing through season three of The Wire. That's good. Actually, you know what? Mm -hmm. I'm jumping ahead of myself. We'll get to that in a second. Oh, I finished mm -hmm. Outlander. That was good. Really? Uh, yeah. I've heard mixed takes on that. So you never watch Outlander? No, I mean, what I've heard has been sort of mixed, so I wasn't really sure if it was for me. You know, I think, I mean, it's it's intense. I mean, it, it definitely is intense, but I think you like it. Well, actually, I'm not sure. I mean, we are we are pop culture tethers, not necessarily emotional tethers, but mm -hmm. I found it deeply romantic. I loved it. It's very, I mean, and, and like I said, it gets, it's very intense, a little, a little too gory for my taste at times, but you know what? It's, it's, it's good. It's, it's up there. I really enjoyed it. 
And I had a coach too. I had uh, our girl Stevie, aka Steph, Steph Lover, oh. in the Slack. She was kind of like my my Outlander coach. Yeah, yeah she indulged on my on, on, on my Scottish and, and my eyes and laddies and lassies. So yeah, it was great. That's <laughs> yeah, you can enjoy anything else if like someone is in on it with you and someone to talk to about it. You know, I agree. I agree. And actually, and I'll, and I've been saying too that I will rewatch Outlander next time. <laughs> Fingers crossed. I have a girlfriend <laughs> because that is quite. An emotional journey to take on to someone mm -hmm. else. So I totally agree. So our next segment, one of my favorite segments, it is what we're watching. Yes, I have air horn heavy here. And I'm going to share my screen because one of the things I like to do is to show you all what I am watching. And I did allude to it. It is an oldie but goodie. And it is, of course, the best show ever on television. Yes, I'm saying definitively. I'm not sure if you agree. You probably should agree if you truly are my pop culture tether. But yes, it is The Wire. It is excellent. I'm in season three, which is my favorite season. And mm -hmm. I, I restarted my, this is my sixth rewatch, I believe. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, you have to do it for, like, I think the last time I did for a woman I was dating, the time for that was for the ex-girlfriend, you know, so every time you want to bring someone along with you. I did once with my mom, I did a couple on GP. I mean, it, it's, as they would say, it's a rich text. Mm -hmm. but, but it's, uh, I really enjoyed, especially season three, really good stuff. McNulty's just totally McNulty-ing. Uh, have you seen The Wire? I hesitate to say that I have not, but I'm looking forward to doing it with the podcast, the Ringer podcast. Oh, so are you going to wait till they're all the way done and just kind of plow through it? Because they're right now ending, they're just starting season three. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm going to get there. Oh, come on, Tez. Come on, Tether. Get with me, Tether. Oh, it's, it's I know. so good. It's so, and trust me, I will be here for you. Yeah. I'll be here for you when you go through like, some particularly interesting episodes. Actually, every season has some really like standout episodes, but I will be here for you, Tether, to, to unload, ask questions, to be like, what the fuck? I mean, I'll be here. Yeah, it's actually crazy, because I like I, Idris Elba and everything else I've seen him in, so it's kind of weird that I've skipped this one, but it's also kind of nice to have things still ahead of you like that you haven't seen yet, so. And that would technically be something good. All right. Yeah. Well, and so I was going to ask you what your favorite, you know, wire season is, but of course doesn't apply. So I will speak yeah. quickly on mine, which is season three, because the whole you know, political animal and season three is about politics. As we learned, starting pretty much with season two, each season, the wire took on uh, a subject matter. First season was essentially setting up the world of the wire. So you could essentially say it was about crime. Season mm -hmm. two was about the ports and I guess international trade. Season three is politics, season four is education, and often referred to as everyone's favorite seasons. It's quite the heartbreaker. And season five, which everyone ranks last, is <laughs> about the media, which I think it's a great season, but you know, it's, it's you know, I, I always call this Urban Shakespeare. It's, you know, it's the best series of our time. I came close to wavering and doing a rewatch of Breaking Bad with uh, almost significant other, but, it does hold the crown. It's just so good. So many great actors in this. And it's wild that you know Idris Elba uh, outside of The Wire because most of us stateside were acquainted with him as Stringer Bell. And I literally did not have any idea he was British until years past The Wire. So this You haven't seen Luther? No, no, I have, but that was years okay. after The Wire. Like, I, actually, I uh -huh. think about three or four years after The Wire. That's when uh -huh. I found out that, oh my God, he's 
like a real Brit because he yeah. pulls off Stringer Bell so well. Is it different watching it now that there's like such a different conversation about police going on? Great question. Um, you know, a little bit, but even when you, even when we were watching it in 2002, because this isn't what, as the popular phrase is now, this isn't what I would call uh, copaganda. Like they do show right. you both sides. They show you the first season, especially, is devoted to, to you know, cops and robbers. Like you know, showing mm -hmm. the cops and then and then the Barksdale crew with the with the drug game, but. I mean, these cops are fuck-ups. They drive drunk, they cheat on their wives, they cheat on their taxes, they cheat on the job, they, you know, you know, filing bullshit overtime. I mean, they're not role models by any sense. They're really totally well-rounded, flawed humans. And you're not even, you're rooting for them in so much as the plot demands it, but then you're as much rooting for the criminals, because these are really smart criminals. I mean, introduce the term burner phone to our lexicon <laughs> back in the early aughts. I mean, yeah, this is, oh, love it. The Wire. Teaches you the wrong things, maybe. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, exactly right. Yeah, they, 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 they brought us a real fast back in the early aughts. So, so yeah, so when you're ready, please let me know. I might even do a rewatch alongside with you just to oh give that emotional tether support that, you know, yeah. we have. All right, and then the end. So just for those who are wondering, my Wire season ranking goes three, one, no, three, four, one, two, five. Fight me, holla at me, whatever. That's the way it goes. All right, and then from our draft stream, draft stream game from a few weeks ago, I have gotten to Brave New World. It is something else. Are you familiar with this show, KSK? So I have not started watching this either yet, but I did read the book, so I'm kind of interested to check it out. I haven't ventured too much into the Peacock world yet. Oh, is it one of those books that nicely Room Raider uh, set up behind you over there? <laughs> uh, no, I don't think it is, but I read it a long time ago. Eat a plant. No. Yeah. <laughs> No, it looks no, good. It's one of those ones you read either in high school or college or like around there, some, somewhere along the way. And it's a fascinating story, so I'd like to check it out. Yeah, I'm actually kind of interested to see how it deviates the book. I personally did not read it in high school. I mean, I, we, I missed a lot of classics. I remember someone in college who, from the South actually, looked at me crazy when I told him I hadn't read uh, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings. They're like, oh, I feel bad for your upbringing. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. But I mean, I, I missed that. I think I missed um, Catcher in the Rye. There are a few ones we missed, but we got like Milton and, and, and you know, uh, Canterbury Tales and crap like that. But we did not mm -hmm. get to Brave New World. But so far, I'm enjoying it. I think I'm um, six episodes in. It is wild. Peacock laying its nuts on the table. It is wild. I mean, it's great. It's I mean, very sexual, I guess. So tell me if this is the same in the book. So the basic concept is that it's this future utopia where you know mankind as we know it has been relegated to like the hinterlands we're known as savages with all of our you know normal you know humanity whatever and then there's like this bubble city you know bubbly civilization uh called new london where there's only three main rules it's like there's no violence everyone needs to be happy all the time and you cannot be monogamous like you have to be like sexually free or something is that similar to the book yeah, I remember mostly the stuff that people are like always being drugged to always be happy all the time and always be entertained. And I feel like that that part, I feel like has a lot of relevance to our culture now that you're always distracted, always entertained by stuff. I don't remember the non-monogamy, but I did <laughs> read it a while ago. Maybe that I feel like a lot of these, I feel like a lot of these new streaming services also want to lean into that to like make it clear we're not NBC anymore. You know, this is not Cape, you know, network TV. No, that's an excellent point. And, and honestly, I mean, and stars, well, I'm not saying, well, that's not stars, but 
Um, you can say stars. It's okay. <laughs> no, I like stars. P Val, P Val, y'all, y'all know P Valley renewed for a second season, baby. That's right. Uh, no, um, it's not so much stars, but I think a lot of these, especially the newer fledgling uh, uh, streaming services. I remember even with Netflix introduced House of Cards and stuff. You know, a lot of gratuitous nudity, a lot of cussing and stuff. Uh, Star Outlander, a lot of nudity, a lot of you know, they they get they grab your attention you know, from yeah. jump. And that's one thing that Brave New World definitely has. Starts off within like five minutes in an orgy or something, so. That's like the HBO pilot model of there's tons of sex in the first episode. Then it's a totally normal show, not about that, but they've got you. Yeah, yeah. And actually, Outlander <laughs> starts somewhat similarly and you kind of get, well, I mean, as you can see by like seasons four and five, like I get it, the characters are supposed to be older, but still it's like the nudity drops down, <laughs> drops down, yeah, you know. Yeah, because the actors down. get better contracts and they're not doing that anymore. <laughs> that too, that too, exactly. <laughs> but no, but, but this, I mean, I'm not so sure how integral the plot this is, but I do find it fascinating that this set up utopia, uh, and, and like you said, they are all drugged all the time. There's this clicking of this uh, dispenser. You hear all the time, click, 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 click. It's almost like, like its own uh, avatar for things getting too heavy. I need to drug myself, click, click. Uh, mm -hmm. That happens like uh, you, ubiquitously throughout the series, but it's, and Harry Lloyd, just the consummate, you know, white male fuckboy. boy. He's, he's back <laughs> up to his old tricks. I don't know if you saw counterpart on stars, but yeah. you know, he, he was, uh, he was uh, using that also playing, you know, morally questionable, you know, Jack Hole. He's doing the same Harry Lloyd stick here. Wasn't he also in the Harry Potter playing like a bit of a dick? Probably. <laughs> Anyways, he's in it. I like how people get a niche like that. Well, I mean, hey, keep getting them checks, right? I mean, that's either a bad agent or a great agent, you know? Yeah. Uh, Jessica Brown Finley, a.k.a. Lady Sybil from, um, from Downton Abbey. Yeah, I'm glad to see her in something else. She was so great on that show, and then she kind of disappeared. Yeah, no, she, she's great on the show. Um, just, I mean, a lot of, you know, a lot of odds and ends in the show. Demi Moore is in, is in there for some episodes. I mean, and, and Alden Ironwright. I mean, yeah, let me, let me talk about Alden Ironwright for a second. I think it's a bad rap. I mean, I mean, people killed him because of Solo. And I'm, I'm on record. I don't care. I loved Solo. I saw it three times in the theater. I enjoyed the hell out of it. It's a, it's a, it's a good time. I think I watched it, I think, another two times at home. Fuck what you heard, I love me some solo. And he's he's perfectly charismatic. He's got, you know, decent leading man looks, you know, lantern jaw, whatever. He's got his also this weird relatability, I guess. I don't know, like the way he the way he does some line readings, deliveries, I just kinda like you kind of feel like you know the guy. I don't know. What do you have any stand pro or con against Alden Ironwright? Well, I was all in on him like everyone else when I saw Hail Caesar, where he has like a couple great scenes where he just like steals the whole movie basically. Then I heard that people didn't like the solo movie. I ended up liking it, but I just saw it on streaming sort of after the fact. So not three times in theaters. But I mean, I think <laughs> whoa, this whoa, is whoa. solid. Was that, was that a shot, Tez? I, I felt that. No, I was jealousy. I mean, none of us are seeing anything in theaters now. So it's True. all True. in the haze of <laughs> remember that time. But I mean, I think that he's good. People are very fickle about they think you're going to be the biggest new thing. Then they're kind of disappointed. So you're crap. And... I mean, hopefully he'll find the right roles. Hopefully this will help him. Yeah, fair enough. No, and and I, I like him finding these fees. I don't know. I, I think it's a bad rap. I don't I mean I doubt we will see another solo. I'll live with that, but I do hear we're getting a Lando. Yeah. Donald Glover coming back as Lando. 
Yeah. Punch it. <laughs> All I, mean, right. I hope I hope that's good. I hope it's a good use of his time. <laughs> <laughs> and I also hope that we just get back to production. Uh, we had on a few yeah. weeks ago uh, as part of the tripod, our boy Kevin. A Garnett, not the basketball player. He is what we call WBW, our working black writer in Hollywood. The one of the rare unicorns we find out in the world. I uh, just got a new job. Grats, shout out to him. But I was asking him both on and off the air. I'm like, what's going on with all these, you know, deals and stuff? It's like every, you know, few days you hear someone signing on, like some actor signing on for this project. Definitely writers are getting, you know, you know projects are getting paid. He's been writing nonstop throughout the pandemic because that's something you definitely do at home. With, with zoom mm -hmm. calls i was like so you got all these deals lined up like planes waiting to land like what's gonna happen to production like in like a year or something when everyone is gonna probably go back to somewhat business as usual he's like i don't know <laughs> yeah so. i mean that's kind of the case for a lot of industries there can be a lot of stuff that's worked out now like they might be writing shows that they never end up producing because they're just trying to get what they can for the future but and honestly, yeah. that would be the first time. I mean, you know, we, I mean, very few claims of fame, but the, the, you know, the one of the few projects I was able to sell in my time on the fringe of the Hollywood, like 12 years ago, I mean, went through development hell, never got produced. We wrote, we wrote the shit out of it like 20 different times, never got produced. So I don't hope that fate for everyone else. These seem to be pretty high profile deals, but you know, and some of them sound legitimately interesting, but there's only going to be so much studio space, right? Uh, yeah. and, you know, well, at least they're investing in the writing process. That's better than nothing. I mean. And the WGA getting that new uh, deal approved, you know, solidarity. Keep getting them checks, yeah. writers. <laughs> so anyway, so what are you watching, KSK? So I'm watching a show I believe you watched. I'm still finishing The Great on Hulu. Yay. How do you, what do you think? It was a little bit slow for me to get into it, but now I'm really liking it. I, um. I think that they try and cram a lot of story into like the first episodes. So you're kind of lost, mm -hmm. but um, it, it picks up when you start to really feel for the characters and they humanize them more. They do a little bit like what they did on Succession where they're horrible characters in the first episode and they're kind of not as crazy as it goes on since you couldn't maintain that for a story. But it does a lot of interesting things. I like the sort of colorblind casting of the sort of tertiary characters. Um, yeah, kind of like Dairy Queen of Scots. Did you ever see that in theaters? Yeah, is that the one with um, Saoirse Ronan and yeah. Margot Robbie? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good concept. I mean, they don't do it for like the main characters who we know are, you know, white Russians. But at first I was like, hmm, I guess Russia's more diverse than I thought. And then I sort of figured it out. It took me a while. <laughs> but I like it. It's a good way to sort of mix things up. And they get a lot of good sort of character actors in there. Um, and, and honestly, it's kind of like anything that brings elements, like fr the, some of the freer elements of the theater to to uh, the screen, I don't necessarily mind. Like, you know, I mean, you know, we all saw the, the Hamilton, although that truly was just like a stage play being, you know, cast out uh, as, a, as a movie. But anything that kind of brings that type of thing where it really doesn't affect the plot, you know, really, I mean, that yeah. you know, it doesn't, the characters just kind of just have great actors, it's fine. It's not like they're doing like Selma the colorblind cast i mean <laughs> that, that, i bet someone has pitched that you should you should hold on to that idea 100 no 110 percent. someone's already pitched that it, yeah. and and it didn't look like they didn't look like me i promise you <laughs> you know who could you know who could play uh martin luther king jr is julia roberts <laughs> oh oh <laughs> well you know no, actually no actually meryl streep 
I would give Meryl Streep a pass on anything. <laughs> anything. Yes, Julia uh, Roberts is a daughter of the South from Smyrna, Georgia, suburb of yeah. Atlanta. But nah, I would, I mean, I'd like to see Mer- Meryl as Martin Luther King. Shit. Who, who was the <laughs> actor who played, um, it was Kate Blanchett, right? Who played Bob Dylan, right? Yeah, that was great. I never saw that one, but I heard she was great in it. So, you know, I don't know. Get, get crazy, but don't get too crazy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hopefully some of these pitches die where they should. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right. All right, so that's, that's the great, uh, what else are you watching? I'm watching on HBO, um, I May Destroy You. Are you watching that? Uh, am I? Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, that one. I feel like everyone's talking about it, but then maybe it's only people I know, so. <laughs> I think it's a bit of a niche conversation because, I mean, for better or worse, the way I kind of gauge what's going on in the cultural zeitgeist, is Twitter to an extent because I mean black Twitter is is a thing it's very you know and they definitely get active on some stuff and I don't really see a lot of people talking about it, it barely trends on the days it airs but mm-hmm. um but for those who do know I think the conversation has been robust what do you like about it um I like or do you like it I do like it it's kind of complicated I feel like a lot of the reviews are just glowing like talking about how it's uh Brave. so well done or so like such a new perspective quote-unquote um and for a lot of people I know who are watching it, it's like actually a really difficult watch. It's kind of challenging and upsetting at times, which doesn't always get conveyed in the reviews. So if you're going to check it out, uh, all the content warnings apply. But now, now you think that's because a lot of these reviewers are male, white men, maybe? I mean, it's possible. I don't know. I mean, I, not, I, mean, I haven't read aspersions. I mean, I haven't, well, I mean, it's not as much like casting aspersions, it's just that they definitely bring a perspective. Like they're not going to, yeah. I mean, they're, statistically at lower risk of sexual assault or issues of consent and they're usually the ones perpetrating them and so you know they're going to probably approach with a different lens i even you know my black cis you know heteroness whatever approach it with a different lens whatever with to the extent of like even the episode last night did you watch the one uh, last night yeah yeah and that whole thing where he you know, spoiler alert, whatever, people. Uh, it's my podcast, deal with it. Uh, it uh, even with the issue of Kwame kind of, kind of, you know, duping this, this you know, girl and sleeping with him, even though he's gay, and then kind of popping on like, yeah, I'm gay. I mean, that's, not only is that, was it uncool? I mean, it's, but she was kind of shitty, you know, to begin with. It's like, yeah, there, yeah. You know, it's, it's the situation, there are no heroes here. I mean, I don't know, what yeah. do you think of that? That's scenario. Well, yeah, it's interesting because it shows how, like, these characters who have been victims of mistreatment or assault or varying degrees of consent being broken or, or violated um, are also kind of committing similar things, you know. Hurt people. In someone's house people. when they're, when they're, yeah, exactly. Um, but, I mean, breaking into someone's house or lying to someone like, like Kwame did is... I mean, it's on a smaller scale, but it shows that there's like many gradients to these things. So I like that the show isn't trying to like moralize about, you know, this is the victim and everything they do is perfect, kind of, which is sort of an older style you would have seen maybe 10 years ago. No, no, that's an excellent point. And it's, it's very messy and I, and I kind of like that. I mean, all, everything's messy. The, the, the friendships, the relationships, I mean, like they love each other, like, you know, the, the central three, Kwame, Terry, and, and Arabella. But I mean, mm. it's, it's, it's messy. It's like, it's constant. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, life to an extent. I mean, everyone can't be, you know, in perfect pop culture sync like we are. But it ebbs and flows. Like there are days where, you know, you hate your best friend. The days when you, you love your best friend, whatever. It goes up and down. And also the fact that they're all dealing with some sort of like something. But they're going about it in, 
you know, honestly, kind of, I mean, it's, it's not a very, it's not a very straight line like you see in most plots. It's just all very diffuse. Mm -hmm. like her memories of her assault to the way she reacts to it, to the decisions she makes. I mean, it's kind of, I, I remember there was like, I think through episode three, maybe it was through episode two, I was, I was just like kind of shaking myself, like, why are you making these decisions? This is really, and then it was around episode three or four, I'm like, okay, I get it. It's not traditional. It's also not supposed to be linear and life isn't linear like that, so. Yeah, it's really showing more sort of life, how people live it, not as like a plot, you know, plot point to plot point. Life is people lit. KSK dropping the pearls of wisdom. I love it. Uh -huh. You get air from that baby. All right. So we are moving on to our topic of the podcast. We are doing top five European-based movies. And the way the game works on this podcast, for those of you who are new, is you name a movie that takes place primarily in Europe. We alternate picks. Once someone picks that movie, it is out of play, and you must choose something else. As the guest, Kiska, they go first. <laughs> are you, so are you starting with your number one or with your number five? Well, that, that's part of the game. So it's not even so much like a ranking, because at any point, I can snake one of your choices. So, you know, a little bit of game theory. You know, we're game theory enthusiasts here at Cinema Draft. So you have to kind of figure out, if you think this is popular, it might take it. You might as well just, you know, unload the clip right now. All right, so I would say first, um, this is kind of cheating because it's a trilogy, but I can pick one. So the Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight trilogy by Richard Linklater. You took all three, my God. Okay, I can pick just one. I can pick just the second one, Before Sunset, I feel like is my favorite of the three. Okay, I agree, and damn it, you're playing the game, KSK. <laughs> <laughs> you got it right, Catherine. All right, so Before Sunset, expound. So the whole trilogy is really interesting to me because it's sort of like Richard Linklater has done this time-lapse kind of project also with Boyhood that came out a couple years ago. Uh, this was the first one like that, the first movie came out in 95, then the second one nine years later, the third one nine years after that, uh, for those who haven't seen it. And it's about a couple who meets randomly on a train. They spend one night getting to know each other. And then the second movie, which is my favorite one, Before Sunset, they meet again after nine years apart. And so they're sort of talking about where they've gotten in their life uh, in, the, in the years they've had apart and sort of yeah, how the they- Yeah, the first movie was kind of like a soulful, I mean, not quite one night stand, if you kind of right. right. It's been an entire night just kind of talking and getting to know each other. Yeah, sort of getting to know each other, finding all these ways that they're perspectives connect or dis or they their experiences are different he's from america she's from france obviously um and so the second one i really like because it shows in some ways their disillusion with things that they were very optimistic about in the past in other ways like their their experiences have surprised them and gone in ways they wouldn't have expected so i feel like it's a really interesting sort of character study and sort of a commentary on aging and people trying to find romance when they haven't been feeling it in their regular lives. Um, and it's all sort of in this um, setting of they're just walking around Paris. So it's a little bit of like a European postcard of, you know, all the sites that they walk by. And it's a little bit cheesy. I don't usually love that, but it, it kind of works because there's so much substance to the, the conversations and, and these characters that are really like well-developed. 
Well, that's an excellent pick. And since you did spoil the trilogy, I'll, I'll give it to you. It's fine. Whatever. <laughs> but yes, I... Uh, I, I think I did like Before Sunset the best, but I, I do have a lot of affection for, for, Besun, for Before Sunrise because, I mean, I don't know, I don't know about, you know, your, you know, personal life, whatever. We're, we're only pop culture, <laughs> but uh, I've, I've had, you know, like, you know, weird experiences, almost kind of like, and you, I think you've lived in New York before, New York City, where you have like one of those great nights that kind of leads into you know, thing to thing to thing, which is very, you know, New York City style, whatever. I've had like a night like that where you meet someone and you just kind of keep talking, get to know them, and kind of went our separate ways. I mean, one of them actually turned out to become my best friend for a while, which is kind of cool. But mm -hmm. I mean, I do love the kind of sheer cinematic romanticism of all that type of stuff, where it's, it's very rare, but it's still yeah. possible. You know, it's not like, you know, they're falling in love in space or something. Like, this is like, it's very grounded, super low budget, low tech type of deal that can actually happen. I love it. And you're right. It's like a, a love letter to Paris. And yeah, and it is, they are all kind of, maybe the last one less so, but they're all so low budget and like two actors essentially. And it really shows, it's one of those movies that show just how much you can do with good writing. Like you don't need a lot of extra stuff. If you have a good script, it good can writing be extremely simple. Good writing yeah. chemistry. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. All right, so great pick. Great to take that off the board. So I'm gonna hurt you deeply. Okay. You may know where I'm going, but I'm taking this one off the board for sure. And it's Call Me By Your Name. Oh. Was it on your list? Uh, it was not on my top five. It was on my longer list of options. Oh, okay. Well, you know, and for full disclosure, Catherine here, our, our dear Kat Kiska. Are you going to share some kind of personal secret of mine? <laughs> well, no. Well, yeah. I mean, how many do I actually know that aren't like pop culture related? But no, just that you lived in Europe for a while, right. you know, and, and you're, you're definitely going to have a better, uh, a, a better grasp of, of European-based movies, you know, or at least a more refined uh, sense of European-based movies than I might. But yeah, so, you know, you lived in, that. where was it? Was it Italy or? Yeah, so I lived in Italy. Um, I was teaching English there. Then I taught in Germany for a while. And I lived in Spain. I was a student there. So a little bit of everywhere. Oh, we're fancy now. You we went with the, the, the Neil deGrasse Tyson. Yeah, it sounds very glamorous, but uh, living on minimum wage in Europe is not as glamorous as you would think. Yeah, but I bet you had health care. Anyways. Uh, that so is true. Calling by your name. Uh, I mean, you know, it's the, it's the travelogue of Italy. I mean, everyone loved this. I, I went and saw this. Actually, I remember taking the draft mom to see this, and mm -hmm. it was good. I mean, I I didn't love it as much as other people loved it, but I really did like it. It's definitely, I mean, it felt kind of like just an easy breezy, you know, travelogue of Italy. It's the Italian, you know, countryside. So many bikes. Yeah. So much biking. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and I remember people complaining about the biking, like, oh, there's these long scenes where they're just biking through the countryside. That's the point. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I mean, I was fine with that because it was, it was pretty. I mean, it had a decent uh, score, if I do recall. I mean, you know, and you know, we can get into another movie, which I'm pretty sure you're probably going to name uh, later on. But, um, you know, some movies, honestly, to me, really do need a score to kind of accentuate the beauty that's going on. You can't just always have still silence, no matter how beautiful it is. But this really kind of worked for me. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, everyone's throwing, you know, 100 Timothée Chalamet, you know, yeah. doing his thing. I mean, super charismatic and stuff. Like, you, you get it. You get it. That, yeah, that's it's a great movie. That's it's great. Uh, anything to add to it, or you want to go on to number two? 
Um, I mean, it's the most basic comment you can ever have about these kinds of movies is that the book goes a lot more into like the psychology of the characters, but I actually the movie does its own thing of um, adding another layer. So it's not one of these adaptations where you think, oh, it's not quite as good. It's like it, it adds an, it adds something that a book can never capture with the aesthetics and the chemistry between the people and you can really feel like their humanity in a way that is pretty rare in movies that that characters are that fully developed. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, that's another thing that I miss pre-pandemic, I guess, is reading. Too stressed yeah. out to read. I can't focus. Yeah. Are you reading anything these days? Quick cultural um, I'm rereading. I'm rereading some books that I have. I have books that I read every summer, more or less, that are kind of easy. Uh, I might reread this book, Call, you by, Call Me By Your Name. We'll see. Uh, See, every one of those, those 20 books in that bookshelf right there, those are the only books she has. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> There's actually a new Zadie Smith book out today that I want to get, so I'll, I'll be trying to read that. Oh, okay. All right. Go ahead. Uh, yeah, go ahead, girl. All right, so what, um, <laughs> what's your next film? All right, the next one. Let's see. Um, I would say Marie Antoinette by Sophia oh. Coppola. Now, I can't remember in this, because I saw it in the theaters and then just that one time. Did she actually say, let them eat cake in this movie? So she says it in the context of, like, there's a clip of her saying it, and then you see her as the character saying, I would never say that. Where do they even get that? So it's kind of a commentary <laughs> of these, you know, huge historical quotes are often made up after the fact by someone. So it kind of addresses it in a sort of tongue-in-cheek way. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, fun movie. Well, uh, what are your thoughts on it? So I really, I watched, I rewatched it the other day when I was trying to narrow down my top movies. And it really actually has a lot of the DNA that you see now in The Great and that it's like a historical movie about a well-known figure, um, but with a sort of irreverent sense of humor. And I don't know if it like originated this type of new style of history. Tom Hardy. Yeah, oh, Tom Hardy's in there. <laughs> oh shit. Like a second. It's also fun fact the first movie of Jamie Dornan, who plays one of her love interests. Wow! Um, sorry, sorry to go yeah. bug eyed on y'all. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it's his first IMDb entry. <laughs> Rose Burnt. Wow, we were so yeah. young. <laughs> There's a great cast. A lot of like supporting characters that are very funny. She, Jason yeah. Schwartzman plays the king, who's like such a doofus, <laughs> and Kirsten Dunst, obviously. Um, Molly Shannon from SNL plays one of the sort of bitchy court ladies, you know. So that, that's something else you see in the great sort of these tropes of like these horrible people she has to be friends with. And it, but it really gets more into the absurdity of what actually being this queen would be like. So, I mean, she wakes up and there's 50 people in her bedroom watching her get dressed, that kind of thing. And the thing that's great about it is it, it got a lot of like attention for using pop culture music from now and all this stuff. But it also like kind of shows you what really being alive at that time would be and gives you a, it has like a slow pace that lets you think about, I mean, especially like in the moment now, people are thinking a lot about social justice. It really lets you think about like, how bad of a person was this? Did she deserve what happened to her? Mm. You know, how much control did she even have over what, what she was doing as opposed to just being in a system? It kind of, I mean, to me, it made me think a lot despite just being like, obviously a very beautiful, stylish and like fun movie. Yeah, the costumes were, were off the chain of this, but I mean, leave it leave it to you, my tether, the deeper <laughs> half of our connection to break down the social justice of it all. Yeah. Damn it, you're absolutely right. And Kirsten Dunst did a great job. I believe she was nominated for an Oscar for this, wasn't she? 
I mean, she should have been if she wasn't. I do not remember. But Interesting. All right. Yeah. Maybe not. She was great. She should be in more stuff. I mean, I think you watched her on that Showtime show last year, right? Yes. Uh, how, to, how to be a god in Central Florida. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you, you remember the title because I did not. <laughs> did you watch it? Did you watch it that first season? Yeah. She's really great. It's like a really interesting story. She's good in everything. She should be in more stuff. Yeah, she's on my very long list of actresses that should be in everything. <laughs> I think she took time off to have a kid with Jesse Plemons, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah she she was great in it, and just, I mean, it, it was it was a great pilot, and it got kind of weird in the middle and towards the end, but I enjoyed it throughout. It's I'm curious to see where it's going to go next season. Uh, all right, well, great, uh, great pick. Did not see that one coming. Um, once it's again, worth a rewatch if you haven't seen it since it came out. Think so. All right. Well, I'll add to the list. Uh, frequently on the show, I don't know if you've seen any previous episodes, but we'll cover a lot of stuff. I'm like, shit, I should see. I should see that. I should watch yeah. that. I, um, the only reason why I didn't start watching Highlander is because I had uh, long, to actually, uh, Cinema Draft podcast all time uh, guest starring uh, guest uh, Jay Devlin. He suggested I watch Highlander. It's not good. <laughs> I, mean, um, I mean, it's, it's super eighties. I get it, but I'm like halfway through, and I'm I don't know if I'll finish. It's not great, but uh, yeah. I, I started watching Highlander because of that. So you, you know, you never know. I might take a, I might check check it out. If my I'm the same as you that I have a lot. I have a list of like a hundred things that I've promised people I'd watch or read or whatever. So it's impossible. It's not happening. <laughs> well, move the wire up on that one. That's like I mean, I will. You know, that's especially with with the circles we run in online. I mean, you know, it's. Yeah, I mean, I want to, I want to, I want to hear your your social justice takes on Omar Little, for real. <laughs> okay, so continuing to play the game, I want to take another one off the board that might be in your purview. Actually, you probably probably didn't even see this, but in off chance you did, because it's a fairly recent uh, one. I'm taking Eurovision. The oh, the, I did the, see this the song Eurovision Song Contest, the story of Fire Saga. <laughs> so much fun yeah this was great highlights the the, the little covered country of iceland mm. and not in, and not nest and not only in the bad ways of you know economic collapse <laughs> I, I actually like the little little uh, jabs they made early on to the, the allusions to the fact they wrecked your economy <laughs> yeah in this whole eurovision thing but uh but yeah it's it's great it's a comedy it, I had very low expectations going in. As a matter of fact, the only reason why I watched it was because it was in our talent pool that week with Cinema Draft. And mm -hmm. I started seeing like the ratings it was, it was getting. And then one of our, our power players in the, in the group, uh, in the group chat, we have a, a public group chat that we all discuss, you know, films and stuff and general strategy. Uh, ring balls, ring balls. He said <laughs> that he saw it and liked it. And I'm like, well, shit, if ring balls liked it, I'll give it 30 minutes. This was my original 30-minute film, and next thing I look, next thing I know, it's 40 minutes, and I'm hooked. The yeah. elves, Rachel McAdams yeah. on one. I mean, she's, I mean, Rachel, Rachel McAdams is delightful. She always commits. Yeah. She always shows up. She never feels like, it never feels like she's above the material. She always comes mm -hmm. to play. With, my God, come on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the dress, the costumes. I mean, Will yeah. Ferrell, even though he's, you know, ostensibly the star, co-star. This is really Rachel McAdams' movie. Like she's yeah. having so much fun. I love her. The two coffees, both for me. I mean, so many cute <laughs> little things. Very memeable, yeah. jiffable. I love this yeah. movie. What yeah, it was great. I also had sort of low expectations. And I mean, it is what it is. It's like Will Ferrell movies have a kind of <laughs> formula that they follow. I don't see that as a bad thing. Sometimes that's like exactly what you want, you know? 
Yeah, you, you, you don't ask John Grisham to start, you know, uh, start writing like social justice, you know, treaties or something. I mean, no, yeah. you write legal thrillers. Let's do it. Exactly. And he's really good in that he like lets her shine. He lets the other char characters shine. It doesn't have to be like all about him, even though he's kind of the engine that, that keeps the thing going. Um, I don't know, it's just like a really fun, the songs are also like legitimately good. You start listening to them like this is a joke, this is so funny. Then the next day you're like humming them to yourself. I have Husavik, like her, her closing songs uh, yeah. sung by some great Icelandic, uh, or actually I'm not sure it's Icelandic, some, sort, some Scandinavian uh, singer in real life. Uh, I have Husavik in my uh, 25 playlist. I keep playlists just by top 25 songs at any one time. And it's, mm -hmm. it's in there. It ain't yeah. going anywhere either. That's a great it's song. It's good. Yeah. Eurovision, I, that's my number two. What you got? Okay, so let's see what else I have. Um, okay, my next movie is In Bruges. Have you seen this one? Oh, well, play. I like that one. That is, <laughs> I, I have seen this one. It's very quirky. Colin Farrell kind of playing against type for him back then. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, go for it. Tell so us about is, In Bruges. Yeah, so this is Colin Farrell and um, Brendan Gleeson play like these hitmen who... Uh, Colin Farrell had like his first hit job and it went sort of awry that a bystander got shot. So they're told to go wait in Bruges in Belgium for two weeks to sort of like see how things settle. And it, it's kind of, it plays really well with the setting, the, this like small sort of medieval city with these little canals, because it's like, it's supposed to be so ideal, like a little fairy tale town. But for Colin Farrell, it's like, absolute torture it's like he's in hell <laughs> so <laughs> it they have like a really irreverent kind of sense of humor it's by the guy who made um seven psychopaths martin mcdonough um so it's like a very particular kind of sense of humor and it kind of gets into if some kind of ethical code that these hitmen supposedly have and it's just like very funny ray fines plays their boss who shows up i mean not to spoil the plot things obviously go awry they're not just hanging out in the city for two weeks <laughs> But uh, it's a really fun movie. It really holds up. Um, it's got some interesting character actors that are in it. That's right. Yeah, I don't remember. I mean, I saw it in the theaters, you know, I guess back in 2008. I enjoyed it. Uh, haven't seen it since, but yeah, it's a good pick. Uh, I liked, I mean, I liked everyone involved. And, and you know, you, well, as we've noted in our intro, you are a well-noted Belgium enthusiast. <laughs> I don't so. know about that. <laughs> <laughs> Where did that joke even get started? Uh, quick cultural cul-de-sac. Where did that joke it's, even get started? About it got started Belgium? by correcting someone that French fries were actually invented in Belgium, and many other amazing things that we know and love were invented in Belgium, like the waffles and the Smurfs, ah. for example. The Smurfs in so, Belgium? Oh, absolutely. Wow. There's Trumpf. <laughs> okay. So I just like have a lot of random knowledge, and that sort of became its own joke. <laughs> All right. Well, well played. Well done. It also uh, is a beautiful city if you ever have a chance to visit Bruges. Is it? Okay. Uh, all right. So let's, let's do real quick Cat's uh, top five. Do people call you Cat? Yeah. Oh, okay. I like Cat I like with the K for you. But, you know, KSK, Cat, whatever, Tether. All right. Our top five, my Tether's top five European cities. Go. Oh, my God. I'd say Rome is probably number one. Okay. Um, Barcelona. Mm, okay. San Sebastian is like a small city in Spain that I really like. Um, Paris and maybe Amsterdam. Ah, Amsterdam. Okay. 
for, I mean, is it because the canals, the general freedom of everything, or what, what made you like Amsterdam? I've never been to any of those cities, obviously, but what, what um, Amsterdam made the list? I mean, I am the cliche that like I went there and I actually did go to the museums, which is kind of a joke of what people say they went there for. <laughs> um, but it is really beautiful. There's like a lot to see, a lot of like, culture is really interesting. People are really nice. Food is good. It's kind of a city that you can walk around in, which I like. I don't like when you have to sort of be traveling all over the place. Okay, so, fair enough. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, once once we relaunch Cinema Draft, once the money money starts pouring in, once I actually have my <laughs> freedom again, I'm gonna go everywhere. I'm going to Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah, you have to go at least once in life. Sounds like it. All right, I dig that. Thanks for indulging us on the spot too with your your quick European travelogue. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, so what's your? Oh, sorry, you did your th third one, I guess. Mm -hmm. This is your third one. All right, so my yeah. third one will be Notting Hill, Ooh. set in London, Julia Roberts, American oh. movie star playing a version of herself. For the first <laughs> uh, time, as, not the last time. You know, you know, right? Exactly, uh, Ocean 12, another great European movie. I guess you get, you're free to take. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, she falls in love with normal bookshop owner Hugh Grant and oh, I've been meaning to rewatch this but you know what I kind of don't want to re oh, and there goes my video of course I will endeavor to fix that uh this is also another movie that I that I really want to watch with like a with like a girlfriend or someone you're dating you know someone yeah you know, I mean it's really it's, it's kind of romantic it's the whole I'm just a girl standing in front of a, a boy asking her to love him asking him to love her or whatever <laughs> I mean, come on. That's yeah, like that's like Jerry Maguire level, like, you know, you had me at hello type shit, right? So it's yeah. I mean it's it's great and the whole she has a great line when they're on top of the roof and this is I mean, I've only seen it like maybe three or four times, but this is how memorable these lines are. Is yeah. uh, they're on top of the roof and she's talking about like, you know, the, the drawbacks of fame and how uh, an old, I guess some sort of was it Rita Hayworth line that people or Lana Lang or something, people go to uh, go to bed with you know with a movie star and wakes up to her and I was, mm -hmm. like, that was I mean to me I was, in 1999 you know I don't know it was like 20 something that's kind of profound so yeah <laughs> so I really like this film I like her in it like, look at that great look at that great big Julia Roberts smile I know it's been so long since we've seen that I mean she's I know she's just chilling she you know does one season of homecoming and retires to her New Mexico ranch right I mean she's chilling yeah. just, can't blame her <laughs> yeah, she's made her money. She's 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 good, I guess. Yeah, she was my absolute favorite actress. Like growing up in the '90s, she had so many like such a string of great movies. My best friend's wedding, classic. She and then how much together are we? Whereas she's your absolute favorite actress, and and Denzel Washington's my absolute favorite actor of all time. Period. And of course, they're in a movie together. Yeah, not, it's not so great. Not as great as the book, but the Pelican Brief, in which they would not let them kiss, which was just fucking. <laughs> Aren't they teaming up for something else again? I think I just read that. They are, and I'm very excited for it. I can't remember what it is, but they are coming back. Yeah. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. So yeah, so Notting Hill is my pick. And also, I mean, it does a decent job of covering a little bit of London, that section of London. I've never been to London. I'm, I assume you've been to London? I have been to London, yeah. Didn't, did not make the list, right? <laughs> no, uh, yeah, there's a lot of good places, can I say. I feel like an honorary Londoner these days because I, I mean, I just fallen for the 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 BBC, you know, Brit Fishent model of, of all these shows. It's like you know, six hitters, just like you know, six episodes yeah. and out. Sometimes there'll be a second series, aka season or not. 
sometimes they'll take two, three years between them or whatever. You know, it's just, I, I, I love those shows because you get deeply invested. The storytelling is always top notch. No time is wasted. You feel like you've gone through like a normal 13 episode series, whatever, in six episodes. And I love me some accents. And yeah. once upon a time, I had a pretty decent English accent and now I don't. So I won't model it. Did you see uh, Feel Free? That was my favorite one of those this year. Yes, yes, I did see that. That um, the 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 stand-up comedian who was not really funny, but that her whole relationship was really good. But did, yeah. did you like her stand-up comedy? I thought it was just kind of okay. Well, I mean, all these shows where they show a comedian, they kind of intentionally do bad comedy. I feel like <laughs> um, maybe that's too generous. I don't know, but like they can't show them giving you know a, an award-winning type set in these empty comedy clubs. That's always the sort of suspension of disbelief with a show about a comedian. Was it, it like feel very free charming? What was it called? Who, who was the star of that? May Martin, M A E Martin. M A Martin. That's right, May Martin. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think she's like a comedian on the rise, of some sort. Wow, they can't even, can't even find May Martin. Uh, I think it was feel free. It was something else. It's not a great title because it seems kind of generic, meaningless. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is at least for titles, I guess. Like, she's like a person. Yeah. May Martin. Yeah. Was, we, we go on to cultural cul-de-sacs all the time. In this yeah. Podcast. Sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. Welcome. You are officially a, yeah. a, a Cinedraft, uh, friend of the pod. Okay. Yeah. yeah it's, feel I feel good. good. Yeah. I was close. Yeah. So it's on Netflix. It's like six episodes. Very beneficial. Charlotte really... Ritchie. I really liked her. Yeah. I really she was liked great. Her. She was great. Yeah. I want to see more stuff she's in. Now I think about it. She was great. Um, Lisa Kudrow as as her mother just randomly showing up halfway through. Lisa Kudrow, but yeah, she she's becoming really good at, at uh, the expert cameo. I mean, especially when shows that really don't use her very well, like Space Force. I don't know how far you got in Space Force. I tapped out after I think seven, but she, I got one. Got through one. Fair enough. Life's too short. Life's it too is. Short. Quarantine may be long, but life is short. Yeah, and and we have way too many. With five hundred and thirty productions a year pre-pandemic going on oh. in Hollywood. So yeah, we, we got options, y'all. We got options. Yeah. All right, so yeah, so um, that was my third one. What's your fourth one, Kiska? Okay, my fourth one is another movie by Luca Guadagnino who did a, uh, Call Me By Your Name. It's called The Bigger Splash. I don't know if you would have seen this. It's, wasn't the, the uh, yeah. Uh, I have heard of this one. Biggest. I do not think I've seen this. So it's got a great cast. It has Tilda Swinton, Ray Fiennes, uh, Matthias Schoenarts, and Dakota Johnson. It's kind of like this group of four that Tilda Swinton is this uh, rock star, sort of like a David Bowie type rock star who's recovering from uh, vocal surgery. So she can't speak for much of the movie. Oh. And she, her whole performance is basically just physical. Like you can, it's amazing how you can really read just from her expression, what she's thinking and her boyfriend, Matthias Schoenart's character, like they have such a great communication. Um, and then Ray Fine's character comes in as like a sort of old boyfriend. He comes in like, a hurricane kind of huge amount of energy uh you learn about all their complicated backstories the tension between the characters it's kind of like a like a emotional thriller psychological thriller kind of a thing dakota johnson is pretty good she plays uh ray fine's daughter where's it sort of it's so it's set in this um this island off of italy that's like sort of between italy and africa and they sort of weave in the african migrant crisis that's sort of been an issue in Europe for like the last five, 10 years in an interesting way. It's kind of in the backdrop, like the edges of the story. Oh, that's a great um, shot. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, 
Yeah, it's very stylish. It has uh, costumes, I think, were created by Dior for the Tilda Swinton character. Um, it's just like a really good character study that all, the dynamics between these people and the tension, the arguments, and sort of figuring out who these people really are. It's really good. And Luca Guardagino, did I say that right? I didn't say Yeah. It. Oh, okay, I got it right. Uh, Luca, Luca, the guy's got talent. He's coming soon with, I believe, is it a HBO show? Yeah, uh, I, think I think it's HBO. Yeah, I think it's going to pick up after I May Destroy You ends. So I think it's coming like September, something like that. Uh, so mm -hmm. that should be very interesting. Uh, also looks like it's set in Europe, very lush and kind of exotic. So I look forward to that. Yeah, he's, 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 a, yeah. he's a good visual stylist. That's, that's a very interesting pick. Yeah. I like it. Bigger Splash. Okay, one, another one for the list. <laughs> yeah, it's very fun. I don't think I've ever seen Tilda Swinton like have more fun in a role. She's usually kind of serious and mysterious. But she's just like having a blast doing this. Okay, fair enough. Um, I did kind of want to snake this one from you, but in all, in all honesty, I don't think I liked it enough to really do it. So if you don't mention it, I'll mention it at the end with honorable mentions. I'm just throwing that out there, deep tease. Uh, instead, I'll go with something that's a little more basic. I mean, pretty much every other one of these movies could be this in this franchise. It's Casino Royale. Ooh. A.K.A. James Bond, A.K.A. Daniel Craig's debut as James Bond. Yeah. I mean, he's a globe trotter. He goes everywhere, but there is a significant uh, uh, setting within a, in a casino in Europe. You know, the card game and everything. I mean, it's very you know, and and you know, I, I loved it because it definitely introduced us to a different type of Bond. Not just that he was blonde or anything, but you know, he's that's he, the whole change. Yeah, exactly. Right. People were upset about that. I was like. Yeah. Seriously, that's what y'all want to get upset about? Well, I, yeah, I like we're definitely him. not ready for Idris Elba. If people are still talking about, it, he's got blonde hair and blue eyes. <laughs> I mean, see, Cat, don't play with my emotions. I mean, he would be great even now. I think he's no, like, he wouldn't. Only, he's only forty-eight, and but I know they're probably going to go younger, and he probably, he's probably aged out because they kept dicking around with it so long. But man, he'd be so good in that role. He, and actually, honestly, even his his uh, spiritual successor. Bring John Boyega. John Boyega would bring a lot of fun to that role, yeah. straight up. Or and I'd, I'd I'd probably even be good with uh, with um, uh, Daniel. What's his name? Um, get out. Um, Kaluuya. Kaluuya. Thank you. Why blanking? He. I mean, and not just that. Oh, I'm naming every random black British actor. No, trust me. Thanks to Netflix and my my recent Brit fishing craze, I know a lot of young black actors in uh, in in Britain now. But uh, he, someone like even Dan Kaluuya, like just how menacing and, and interesting, charismatic he was in Widows, that very small part. I just thought that he can do anything between that and Get Out. I saw the range; like he can do anything. So, so yeah. So, anyways. Um, uh, Bond, Bond is cool, you know, the same, you know, tropes, you know, guns, girls, glory, whatever. But uh, it was, I liked the, I liked how they wove in me personally poker, especially back in 2006. I was very much starting to feel poker. Online poker was booming. I knew all the, 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 the lingo they're talking about. I knew why that was a good play. That was a good play. <clears throat> and, and it's very, very, you know, jet setty. And, you know, it was just, it was just kind of all over the place. I, I really enjoyed it. Do you think that the the poker playing in the movie was well done? Because I always wonder about this from people who really understand, like if it's just they're trying to make it look fancy or if it is actually impressively done. I think the cinematography was was well done. The play itself was 
was okay. Like the whole I, I, the whole premise behind that that made major scene with the guy with the weeping eye and stuff. Um, that was uh, Mickelson, Mads Mickelson, who which and that was an introduction to me to Mads Mickelson. I, I was not much aware of his work before. Uh, I, that was I thought the way they filmed it was 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 really did amp up like really did kind of give you the emotional stakes of being in a big hand. Now, I've never been in a hand for that much money or anything, but you know, there's been stakes that were to, to me, relative to me big. And that I feel that did a really good job of putting it like, putting you in there. So yeah, yeah. So that, the actual poker playing itself was kind of okay. I mean, if you, yeah. act, you talk to any professional poker player and you know, uh, for those who aren't aware, I did uh, you know somewhat small stint as small time professional poker player, mostly online between 2011 to 2017. Blah blah blah, and I still dabble here and there. But uh, but basically, you ask any professional poker player, they're like, yeah, yeah, like you know, yeah, you're probably giving better. But it's you know, to us the 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 creme de la creme of all poker movies will always be rounders. Even though even mm -hmm. in that movie, there's some very nitpicky poker things where you can say like. He's playing Johnny Chan with only ten big blinds. It's insane, you know. Some stuff doesn't make sense, but yeah. But yeah, I like, I like in these movies because they have to make it simple enough that someone who doesn't know anything about poker can follow like what the tension is. Yeah, exactly. And I thought they did a really good job with that, and it's just super stylish and cool. And you know, Jeffrey Wright is as like his his M and well, not M. Who was Jeffrey Q? No. Oh, I'm not sure. No, he, he played like the oh Felix Leiter. That's what it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He played as Felix. That was pretty yeah. cool. So yeah. Yeah, that's a great, it's a really fun one. I mean, all the, I like all of the new ones, but that's like probably the one of the most fun ones, just in terms of the settings and the characters. Um, you, it's the first one with him, so you kind of don't know how it's going to go with his love story, that there is sort of a moment of optimism. They go off to Venice for a really romantic vacation. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and because Spoilers, of the globe trottingness, <laughs> if this isn't Europe enough for you, then... I highly recommend Skyfall. I did rewatch that a few months ago. Scottish Highlands at the end, that shit was bonkers. Yeah. Uh, I have to admit, I personally left off things in England just to like narrow it down for myself, but also technically they decided not to be European, so screw them. Oh, yeah. yeah honestly? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so when I was writing the rundown, which it appears you actually read, so kudos to you once again. You're invited back anytime. <laughs> so many people do not read the rundown when they get on the show. Uh, I honestly thought, well, maybe we should exclude Britain, not because of what you said, although very valid, fuck you, Boris Johnson <laughs> and, and the Brexiters, but also because, I mean, you could we could do, and we probably will in the future, do an entire show just on top five British movies or top five English movies. Yeah. We recently had top five Scottish movies in honor of next week's guest, a returning guest, a boy Marty from, from Glasgow, Scotland. Aye, laddie. Aye, gadgie. The gadgie's <laughs> back in the house next week. Uh, we, you know, we, you can easily do, you know, you know, top fives of those, but yeah, I, I almost excluded Britain, but you know, I didn't want to, you know, pen you in on your first time on the podcast. We want to have you yeah. back. So, but yeah, fuck them. You know, it made you it know, actually easier for me to only look at ones that were not there because there's so many great British movies that it's like throws the whole thing off. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So what's your next movie, Kiska? All right. My last movie, I feel like, is the one you were probably making fun of <laughs> prior to this. Um, so it's Man from Uncle by Guy Ritchie. Oh, no. But thanks for reminding me because I did give you shit about that. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you didn't appreciate it, but maybe you kind of came around by the end or you were just humoring me. <laughs> I think I was humoring you, but I did, I, and, and I've fallen down in our, in our burgeoning friendship. I have not revisited it like I said I would, so I'm putting it on the list. Yeah. 
So this is just like a very fun spy movie. I think it's based on a TV show from the 60s where the concept is uh, a CIA agent from America working with a KGB agent from Russia. They have to kind of team up even though they're supposedly um, mortal enemies. So it has Henry Cavill, Army Hammer plays the Russian agent. Um, look, 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 at, look at Army Hammer sunning Henry Cavill. Yeah. Henry Cavill's what, 6'1", 6'2"? Sunning him at 6'5". Look at that. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> so tall. Yeah. And there's Alicia Vikander's in it as sort of this East German woman helping them. And then Elizabeth Debicki is great as like sort of a villain, a villain, mysterious character they encounter. And so, she's I mean, also super tall at 6'3". And I love the fact that she yeah. just leans into it. Do, do not hide your light under a bushel, Liz. Go for yeah. it. Be tall. Wear your heels. Yeah. I didn't realize this is like the tall people's club. <laughs> and at least David is just like a normal person hanging out there. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I remember I, I liked it okay in the theaters, but the, the fact that you kind of caked up hard for it, I, I did kind of have to go at you a little bit. I thought it was kind of cute. But I will, you know, I will, you know, do my part. I will go back to check it out and see if I can find some actual, there we go. I mean, the acting's very fun. It's very like campy, much less like taking itself seriously, not, not like Bond. Um, and I think some that's great like dancing scenes, I music. I, I think, uh, let's jump in real yeah. quick. I think that's the issue I had with it when I saw it was that I guess I was expecting something a little more hard boiled and it was definitely yeah. a lot more campy and like, yeah, breezy, I guess. Yeah, I mean, a lot of sort of silly humor, kind of old style humor that probably came from the TV show. But I mean, they got some great settings. They're in East Germany. They're in uh, Italy driving around. Um, there's some great boat scenes with like, I don't want to spoil it, but there's just a lot of antics going on. All right. All right. So I'll, I'll endeavor to rewatch it this week. That's. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's very silly and like fun, but not a. Not a Bond movie, I guess. Oh, oh shit! That's right. That was um, uh, Hugh Grant too. Wow. Oh yeah, he plays. I think one of their bosses. You know, Handler. one of the CIA guys or something. Okay. All right. I have no idea what the plot was. I have no memory of that. I mean, who knows? It's one of these things where like the stakes don't make any sense relative to like these zany people, you know, going around on a Vespa. It's like <laughs> nuclear annihilation is is on the table or something. But you know, it's one of those fun movies that for like a rainy afternoon. All right, and I will end on a somewhat, so I was of two minds of this one. I actually did not pick the one I thought you were going to pick, which was Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I, I mean, I'll, I'll just throw that out there as an honorable mention because- I'd love to hear I, your criticism of that mu movie, which is great, but. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I love how so many people in our, in our online friend group are so passionate about it. And to me, it's not even like it was a bad movie. I just felt cold at the end because the, 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 the movie is beautiful to look at. Yeah. Gorgeous. There's so much longing and desire between the looks. There's so much chemistry. Like, I get all of that. And I, I think the, the director, uh, I forget her name, she was like, I think she either fell in love with or already was in a partnership with, like, the leading lady. Like, they were, like, you know, together. So she was directing her girlfriend. Wow. Cool. Definitely set her up for success. But mm -hmm. because there was... an utter lack of a musical score i had no idea how much this would weigh on me but it did and mm -hmm. it is kind of i mean i was kind of shocked at how much it bothered me but yeah i i mean there's times where i really felt like this scene with this utter stillness the longing the looking or on this beautiful grassy plain overlooking a cliff yeah. in the sea 
could have used little little Hans Zimmer, little little you know, well, maybe he's a little he's a little too bombastic, little, little James Newton Howard, little something, you know. So yeah. I don't know. That, that's my that's my that's my personal pet peeve, I guess. But uh, instead of using that, although I I'm surprised he didn't get there, I'm going to end with Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Ooh. Why not? Why not? <laughs> French Riviera. Yeah. Steve Martin as 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 being a class clown and i saw this in theaters probably a little bit before your time because you guys you're probably a good decade younger than me but three rotten scoundrels was a bit of a of a event movie oh, yeah 88 definitely before your time <laughs> it was kind of an event comedy of the summer back in the 80s when you could have event comedies of the summer i mean now it's kind of less so it's, if you're if you're lucky at best, you'll get like a super bad dump in August or something, or, or, you know, uh, what was the, what they kept calling like the girls, uh, girl smart. Booksmart? Uh, was it Booksmart? That's right. Girl yeah. smart. Why? Terrible. <laughs> Retract. Trick that would record. be more, more direct title. Yeah. It is exactly what it says. Girl that, that, smart. Girl smart. That that's the that's the QAnon title for it. Anyways, yeah. <laughs> uh, book smart. You're you're lucky we get one of those late in the summer. But yeah, Dirty Run Scoundrels. Uh, I do remember seeing it in the theater. I do remember liking it. Uh, the whole connery of it all, the, the conning of it, and everything. And Michael Caine, Steve Martin, both super charming at the top of their game. Very funny too. You know, I I, I enjoyed it. And you saw the French Riviera, and especially back in '88. What I guess I was about to you know. Summer '88, yeah, I guess it's eighth grade or something like that. I ain't been to the French Riviera. I yeah. actually, yeah, I barely been to the sleepaway camp. So I, I was very fascinated with it all and the whole conning, conning and everything, and the, the long cons and 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 you know the stylishness. It's a very fun movie and it was funny. I really enjoyed it. Dirty Ron Scoundrels. Yeah, there's a ton of great movies that are sort of maybe there's something about the French Riviera that like attracts con artists, but there's like a bunch of these movies that are just very fun some french comedies that are like silly it's a it's a great setting because it's like the ultra rich who can be easily taken advantage of i guess now did you see like the the reboot i don't think they called it dirty ron scoundrels they called it something else right like dirty something or i don't, but, I don't but know the one with uh rebel wilson and anne hathaway oh yeah oh, they did like a, a female version yeah. Not my favorite concept. Girl scoundrels, yeah. No. Yeah, <laughs> lady scoundrels. I think it's like hustlers or something. Yeah. Uh, the, the, hustle. Hustle. the hustle. The hustle, yeah. yeah. I did I mean, not see this one. I mean, I saw the trailer and I felt like I had seen enough. Sorry. It, it had its moments. Uh, I mean, Anne Hathaway, I, I mean, people are of... Actually, let me ask you. you you're of very discerning taste, and you are the other half of our cultural tether. What's your thoughts of Anne Hathaway as, like, an actress or a performer? I think she's a good actress. I think that the whole backlash against her was kind of bizarre and, and didn't make that much sense. She's had some good movies. Um, sometimes she, like, leans too much into a type. So the, some of her better movies are, like, where she's playing against that, like in Ocean's 8, I want to say, the female one she kind of was making fun of her own persona which was good um I mean she's got some great movies Rachel getting married is like a really devastating movie I don't recommend but that you can really see she can act she's not just you know vamping for the camera so she's an interesting actress I think she, she like her public persona got out of her own hands and kind of derailed her career a little bit no, I, I agree. The, also, the co-host of the Oscars of James Franco, which honestly isn't even so much her fault as in the producer's fault. I mean, it just wasn't yeah. like the greatest idea. Like she, like she's game for anything. Kind of, I mean, not as 
consistently convincing as, say, a Rachel McAdams, but she does at least put in the work. She tries. She's always very earnest. And I think one of the major criticisms of her, whatever, is that she gives off theater kid energy. And as, yeah. you know, and I have a drama degree, you know, as well. And as, you know, a one-time theater kid or whatever, like, I, I recognize it. And I don't shame her for it. I think it's fine. You know, they want to do yeah. well. They want to entertain you. They're very Lin-Manuel Miranda about their shit, right? And so she's always very, you know, she always wants to kind of entertain you. She's always pretty game for anything. What's great is that she doesn't take herself too seriously, although it did seem like there was a time when, when the public perception of her did affect her career and, and, and in return kind of maybe affected the roles either she was offered or the roles she either, either did. I'm not sure. But I love yeah. her. I think she's great. I think she's an excellent, excellent Selena Kyle, a.k.a. Catwoman, mm-hmm. in the wildly maligned. I mean, I don't... Yeah, she was great in that. I don't get... <laughs> help, help me on... Help me understand. Maybe this, I mean, and not to the cast versions of, of your quote unquote generation. I'm not even going to be old man, get off my lawn, but millennials are coming for Christopher Nolan. I don't understand it. I don't understand. Yeah. I, think he's, I think he's fine. I actually, I think he's great. He's done some of like some of the most, you know, interesting original, you know, IP that we've seen over the last, you know, yeah. 20 years. And, and I don't know. I, I, I just think he, you know, that whole trilogy is excellent. She's great in, uh, the Dark Knight Returns. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going in that whole trilogy, uh, in, yeah. in that, that last uh, episode of the trilogy. And I like uh, I like Anne Hathaway. I, I saw in this little scene movie called Havoc. I think I it was back mm-hmm. when Netflix was doing DVDs. Mm-hmm. The good and, old days, as we call them. Yeah, the good old, yeah, exactly right. The good old days when when I had a lot less to consume and I could actually catch up on some of the classics. I had a nice little run in like 2008 when I watched like. My Girl Friday and North by Northwest and all these old films. Now I have no chance of being caught up. But um, but she was in, in Havoc and she was great in it. And you know, younger me, very excited. You know, she 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 gets naked, she cusses, she rebels against authority. She's you know tr- she's basically you know being um, a Kardashian like appropriator. She's like trying to hang out with, like I think uh, 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 Mexicans in L.A. or something like that. It's very it's a very messy role, but I loved her for it. Like okay. This is what you want to do with your, with your, you know, your little bit of shine? I'm here for it. So she takes risks. I like her. I like yeah. Then didn't mean to turn this into a hand, and and hand halfway, and halfway stand podcast. But here we are, and we have successfully made it to our break. We are going to take a short break for those listening to the podcast to bring those up to speed on our game, the Cinema Draft game, and the Draft Stream Alpha Test game we're currently running, how it's played, and all about it. So for those of you listening at home, we'll be, uh, we'll be right back after this short message. For those of you watching, we'll be back before you know it. Movie theaters are on hiatus, but we here at Cinema Draft are not. Draft Stream is the streaming content version of the Cinema Draft game you know and love. Just like with Cinema Draft, you have a $100,000 salary cap for a 10-actor call sheet. No more, no less. But in this one, you have to have at least one of three types of actors for your 10-actor call sheet. Headliner, co-star, and day player. Scoring is based on a weighted average of Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic scores, plus audience and user scores. Headliners get a 40% bonus while co-stars receive a 20% bonus over day player points. There's a weekly minimum $50 prize pool shared by the top two 
non-Cinema Draft employee call sheets. Or you can go low. Cinema Draft offers a minimum $10 lowball bonus to the lowest scoring call sheet of the week. To qualify, your call sheet must spend at least $75,000 of your budget, use at least one actor from three separate titles in the talent pool, and, of course, roster at least one headliner, co-star, and day player to your 10-actor call sheet. The game runs from Thursday evening to Monday afternoon with daily updates on Saturday and Sunday before final scoring after Monday, 12 p.m. Pacific time. Currently, we are alpha testing DraftStream in a rudimentary spreadsheet-based format while we work on adapting it for digital play. Tweaks happen almost weekly due to player feedback. We really need the data, so please help us out and play the game. A link to the most current talent pool is included in the podcast description. Please review the rules tab and submit your call sheet by Thursday, 6 p.m. Pacific time. Thanks again for your help and good luck. And we're back. All right. So our over under has been mothballed still because we're not reopening theaters anytime soon unless you're tenant. <laughs> and so we're going to go to our quarantine movie of the week instead. But before we do, actually, I was asking you about this off camera. What are your thoughts on this whole tenant reveal today that they're coming back, they're coming back with a vengeance, but starting internationally? I mean, I have, having friends that are in Europe and seeing daily their vacation pictures and how they're like off in Capri having fun and whatnot, um, I think they should be rewarded for taking the virus seriously and getting under control. So, I mean, good for them. They can get to see Tenet. Uh, we don't deserve it. We don't deserve nice things. So <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at. True I mean, I'm not going to be there seeing it, so I'm happy for those other people. Right. Well, and honestly, if you wanted to, no country will take us. I was reading yeah. how Canada is, you know, looking down at their nose at us now, and that makes me very, very sad. Okay, American exceptionalism, brah. All right, yeah. so <laughs> our movie, our quarantine movie of the week last Wednesday was Patriot Games, let me see if share my screen real quick, was Patriot Games, the Harrison Ford thriller as Jack Clancy. It was fun. Have you seen Patriot Games, Kiska? I do not think so, no. Oh, okay. Well, it did come out, like, I guess forever ago. Uh, and you had been very young when it came out. Basically, I was... movies, like, right up my alley. I really should have seen this, but... No, this one and Clear and Present Danger were great. Back in the day, especially when I was a, a burgeoning young writer, one of my, and I will stay, say to this day that one of my early influences was, of all people, Tom Clancy, because he did have, he had highly, highly, highly descriptive uh, books. Like he was very much in the details, usually about details that didn't really fucking matter, but he was very detailed. No, he once spent an entire chapter in The Sum of All Fears describing how a nuclear bomb detonates. I'm not making this up. Some like 12 pages about it. I mean, what the fuck, right? But uh, it's still, he was I very- I love that kind of detail in a book, actually. I'm kind of a nerd like that. Well, I mean, no, I mean, be a nerd like that, but like, are you a scientist? Like, I wasn't. Like, I didn't necessarily need to know that the disconnects of this, it was, it was wild. Anyways- That was not your favorite episode of Chernobyl either, when he explains exactly how the thing works. <laughs> Ongoing joke for those of you uh, watching, listening, is that we are big Chernobyl stands over here. And anytime, anytime <laughs> I say something, and this, and Kiska right here is the number one Chernobyl stand I know. It's not great, not terrible. If I say something's very Chernobyl, it means not great, not terrible, like the meme. <laughs> 
Yeah, but Patriot Games you probably would enjoy. Um, it's it had to do with like the Irish Republican Army and stuff. Very '90s politics back when you know when there's a lot of. Yeah, I think they're still going undergoing what they call the Troubles or their North Northern Ireland Protestants versus Catholics. You know, uh, occupying forces of the British and you know fighting for independence, all that sort of stuff. And it hadn't made its way over here at all, in the United States. But it was it was a big deal over there. And this movie dealt with. The IRA on American soil, so it's kind of interesting. And I read, I read all those books when I was uh, growing up. Uh, Patriot, I think Patriot Games might have been my first uh, Jack Ryan novel. Absor- read that, read you know, Clear and Present Danger, Some of All Fears, all those books. So I was very excited to see uh, this Jack Ryan. I did not read Hunt for Red October, but that movie still slaps. Sub movies forever. I'm here for it. Anyways, that was last week's quarantine movie of the week. This week's is going to be Steve Jobs. By the time you guys watch or or listen to this podcast, it will be Steve Jobs. And this is the Michael Fassbender one, the Aaron Sorkin written one directed by Danny Boyle. So overlooked. So overlooked. <laughs> it's a great script. It was a great... Uh, I mean, it was. I think it was originally designed almost like as a play or something. Uh, I remember hearing about the production. It wasn't like a really big production per se. But it got a little pricey for what it was because it's very much of a talkative movie, um, my, very much a, a Michael Fassbender uh, showcase. And shout out to Michael Fassbender, also one of um, uh, my boy Marty's former classmates at the London School of wow. um, London Center of Drama or whatever. Um, and he's just, you know, he's on one the, on this. Uh, very good Steve Jobs, I mean, sorry, uh, uh, Steve Wozniak. Uh, uh, our boy uh, Seth Rogen in the news mm-hmm. today, <laughs> yeah, for for admitting the obvious, uh, and also uh, I thought Kate Winslet as his, you know, as Steve Jobs' right hand woman really holds it together. I, I mean, just it's I thought it was criminally overseen, under underseen. Have you seen this movie, Kiska? Uh, I have not seen it. I sort of paid attention to the dialogue around it, and it it seemed like one of these. Uh, male genius movies, for lack of a better term, that I have mixed feelings about. I mean, they can be really well done. I think the fact that it came out at the same time as like another Steve Jobs movie didn't didn't help the it. Worst that one, much. terrible one. Yeah, that yeah. Ashton Kutcher. I remember seeing that in the movie in the movie theater because my friend made me go see it. She she loves that. She loves Steve Jobs, <laughs> so she dragged me to see it. I did not like that. I love this one. Uh, uh, I actually, and th- I think this is another one where a friend of mine slipped me the script before I saw it. I read the script, loved it, saw it, loved the the movie as well. It deviated in some key spots, but it's a really good script. I mean, it's Sorkin. It's Sorkin. Yeah. And you're right. It is a male genius movie, but I mean, to the extent in so much that you know, kind of like you know on Hamilton, no one's saying Hamilton was great as like a person, but yeah. it was a, it was a great you know show to watch. This is a great you know he's a dick. He's there's there's almost no redeeming values of his portrayal of Steve Jobs in this movie, but it's just such a it's just great dialogue. The tension between him, he and Waz is great, and how yeah. Kate Winslet's character truly holds together, and also that the tension between Steve and totally ignoring his family. Oh my god! Yeah. There's that whole scene in the in the in the third act of of the the daughter being brought in and everything, which is totally kind of I don't know. If you had a chance to see it, watch. I think it's only about ninety minutes or so. Really goes by mm-hmm. real quick. Very talky, very you know, walkie-talkie, very Sorkin-esque. So I think you like it. Yeah, That's yeah, I'll the, check it out. I mean, it's it's not the fault of the movie that 
this is like a cliche and these people who become these huge stars of business and technology and stuff that there's like this pattern of behavior of, you know, not being there for your family, not being there for your friends and whatnot. So I don't know. Right. And so be sure everyone to tweet me your tweet length review at our Twitter account at play cinema draft. Okay. Time for our draft stream update. This is probably where I'm going to lose you a little bit. It's fine. Feel free to, to look along and feel free to play this week. It is free to play our spreadsheet sensation. Yes, we are hard at work in the lab trying to get this coded up for you. Yes, the mock-ups by our girl, Paula Kathuria. Uh, and I think she is playing in this week. She, uh, I think she uses her name backwards. Really annoying. Anyways, uh, she's going to be in the game this week. So make sure you, you holler at our girl. Uh, Pollock, who is designing up some good shit for us all so we can stop copy and pasting. But this is how it looked last week. Jaybird, our all-time draft stream money leader, did a clean sweep, the top two spots. $35 for first, $15 for second, and he also got the low ball. For those of you who are new to the game, the low ball is when you have a, when you're aiming for the lowest scoring call sheet in the group. You must have at least $75,000 in our $100,000 salary spend. You must have at least three actors from three different uh, titles. And you also must have, of course, one headliner, one co-star, and one day player from these different movies. And so he did the clean sweep, all $60 to Jaybird. Second straight week, he has won this, the draft stream game. The Canadian occupation is underway. Of course, Ontario's favorite Jaybird. And he did it on the strength of, of a diversified strategy. Headliner stack of Love on the Spectrum, headliner stack of Most Wanted, three-pack of Signs, and headliner stack of The Doghouse, and threw a little headliner at The Rental. And it was a very surprising week for me because this was a week that, you know, we had lower participation. We only had 11 call sheets turn out. I wasn't very excited about any of these damn uh, shows. I think I only, oop, I think I only saw... Uh, Fear City, New York versus the Mafia. It was pretty decent, but I was actually surprised on how well Love and the Spectrum did. And I think it's because it was a feel-good uh, show from Australia dealing with a dating show of participants of people who are on the autistic spectrum who find love in these contrived reality TV ways. But I guess people loved it, so more power to it. So that was last week. This week, take a look at our draft pool, KSK. 15 hot ones. Starting with your girl, Beyonce, Black is Kang. Yeah, is anyone going to watch this? Who knows? <laughs> you know, and are people going to rave about it? Who knows? I but yes, know. in Take our, it or leave it. Yeah, you know, right? Uh, this one, in this one with, uh, with oh, and I see someone's checking out. Very cool. Anonymous Buffalo, welcome. <laughs> Frayed, uh, Get Even. These ones also are going to be rated pretty highly. The Umbrella Academy second season. And we are experimenting this week for you draft stream enthusiasts. We're, going, we're trying our hand on individual returning seasons of shows. It's going to be a little bit tricky because sometimes you can't always get the separate data for it. Uh, as you can see, we have a sample size of over 100,000 who have rated the first season of the Umbrella Academy. But as the new season rolls out, we will endeavor to get specialized season-specific ratings of this title. So when they start rating these seasons, we're going to see if we can get an aggregate average of these 10 episodes of the second season. Have you seen the Umbrella Academy, KSK? No, but I've heard good things. I feel like I've said no to everything you've asked me, but 
I well, find this really good. Well, well, I mean, you know what? I mean, part of this is my job. You know, I am, you know, kind of underpaid at this point because we are very much a bootstrap startup uh, to know about all these types of things. But that's the great yeah. thing about the draft stream and similar draft games is movie discovery, yeah. content discovery. You know, every week we throw up 15 things you probably didn't know much about. Uh, and of this, and sometimes like Eurovision, you know, if it weren't for ring balls and this game, <laughs> I never would have checked out Eurovision. So yeah, uh, there's so, so yeah. much great stuff out there that you just have to find out about, like through some serendipity. Well, I mean, th that's true. And, but also once I, I feel also one of the things we missed once we had to take down the original alpha test of the cinema draft game when, you know, with the, the movies was we kind of missed, you know, getting kind of hip to these really niche movies that made a big difference in the game. Yeah. You know, with yeah. sometimes it'd be, you know, that Indian movie that, you know, would only do about maybe, I don't know, uh, two million in the box hospital would give you like 20 solid points in the in the similar draft game that it, it, it just exposed you to, to so much good stuff and now especially while we're all on lockdown all in quarantine or if we're doing it right damn it if you're not essential stay ass at home <laughs> we're all generally you know confined to our quarters but and people who are you know kind of getting cabin fever or stuff to watch great thing about draft stream is every week we've got new good stuff for you to check out i'm excited about the real housewives of potomac season five yeah. college of girls have, have you seen this show oh of course i've seen this show come on <laughs> well no I've seen I mean, all the cities well i mean I, I didn't know if you did all the cities i'm very selective my, my real housewives i think i did one season of new jersey a long time ago oh god didn't quite connect with me so and but ever since i did atlanta i'm, I'm all in atlanta on potomac Rest in peace, DC. If you only hadn't violated White House protocols, damn it, we probably could have gotten the second season. Are uh, you watching uh, Beverly Hills? Garcelle is amazing, the new uh, cast member. I, I, I feel like I'm too late for that show. I, oh. I, don't, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think, it, honestly, I think anything with the reality shows with, with uh, black women or black locales, I'm all in because I either know the places or I know the mentality. And I, I, I definitely love it. Like Mary Med, I'm all on Mary Med, mm -hmm. those ladies. Um, but yeah, Potomac's coming back. I actually, uh, I, and I said this in the group chat today, I actually rewatched, or I was watching the How We Got Here of the, <laughs> of, of the, the recap of the previous four seasons yeah. as if I needed one, right? So that was cool. Uh, anyways, so yeah, so they're coming back. But I think this will be a player on, on Sneak Tip. Take a quick look at the salaries. Obviously, Beyonce, Black is King, the highest salaried actor in the talent pool this week. Respect, all hail Queen B. Her husband Jay Z, uh, three hundred dollars behind, and Pharrell as a seventeen hundred eight seventeen thousand eight hundred dollar day player as your cheapest one of that for Black is King. Your second highest, I did go with the Umbrella Academy. You, if you've got built-in audience, built-in fan appreciation, if it holds up, I think we're going to make you pay to get those points. Easily going to be over a hundred to start. Probably going to end up around one hundred ten points. Uh, in case you're not aware, we do a weighted scoring system over here <clears throat> where, your, where your total score is a combined weighted average of Rotten Tomato Critic Score, Google User Score, Metacritic Critic Score, and IMDb User Score. And the way that goes is that we give extra weight, 60% bonus to the user scores because the audience is king. So sometimes you can have a lightly regarded uh, Rotten Tomatoes critic score and Metacritic score, but the audiences go ham and that ends up saving the score. So sometimes, so like last week we had, yeah, the kissing booth too. Uh, 
27 on Rotten Tomatoes, damn it. <laughs> 39 on Metacritic, for crying out loud. But 6.1 and 91% on Google. So sometimes that can salvage a score and your call sheet. So we'll be looking out for that this week. Oh, is, what is this? This is the, okay. So we'll be looking out for that this week. Black is King might be pricey. Might have to work around it. Might, I might have some exposure to that. Definitely the Umbrella Academy. And I think our sleeper, uh, salary-wise, as far as bang for the buck, is going to be the Real Housewives. Karen, I mean, you know, you know Karen had to be the top headliner. You know that, right? Yeah, obviously. She had a pitch fit otherwise. Her and Giselle battling for housewife supremacy on Potomac. Ah, I'm excited. I'm very, I'm, I'm very ready for this show. I think you might get some good value here at 11,600, 11,500 for your headliners. And as, and of course your headliners, you get a 40% bonus as a headliner and a 20% bonus as a co-star. So you might want some Ashley Darby, some Robin Dixon in the mix, Monique for and looking at the, at the preview for this season, Monique, she's, she, she's, she's on one this season. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this season. Very much so. So check it out, everyone. Get in your call sheets. It is free to play, of course. $50 prize pool, $35 to first, $15 to second, and we have a $10 lowball bonus if you go by our lowball rules. Make sure you check out all the rules here and, and your, your guide video on how to perfect your call sheets. All right, so it is time to bring this sucker in for a landing. Thank you so much. You know, give yourself a hand, uh, Catherine. Thanks for coming to the shenanigans. You're welcome back anytime. My tether, my tethers. <laughs> Thank you for having me. My yes. first podcast. What's that? I'm sorry. It's my first podcast, so thank you. Oh, you know what? I, I feel so honored. Thank you for, for letting us be your first. You always remember your first time, damn it. Uh, and this is about the time where I actually ask my guests if they have anything to plug, to go ahead and plug yo-ish. I have literally nothing to plug. I work in educational publishing, so if you speak English already, you're not interested in the products that I work on. <laughs> no. Well, is, is, there, is there a favorite show of yours that you wish more people were watching? Ooh, I mean, The Great is pretty good. I feel like more people should be watching that and talking about it. And I May Destroy You, we talked about already. Um, if you haven't checked it out, you should look. Okay, nothing to plug. All right, excellent. Well, thanks for coming on the show. I love it. Or regular people, damn it. Regular people yeah. are always welcome on the Cinema Draft podcast. We're all just people out here trying to do our best in the middle of the pandemic. As per previous times, I normally say go out and see a movie or something, but damn it, don't do that. No. <laughs> Quarantine with a movie or something, damn it. Got a lot of great options. Steve Jobs this week, everybody. Watch that movie. Stay inside. Be safe. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week with another great guest. Our boy, Marty from Glasgow. Hi, laddie. <laughs> we'll be back. Thanks to Catherine Sarah Clagsburn for playing, for watching. And we'll see you back here next week on the Cinema Draft Podcast. Take care. And of course, my video's out. Ah! Thank you, everybody. We're out. <laughs>
Instagram at Play Cinema Draft, Medium at Cinema Draft, that is our corporate blog. We're even on Pinterest, Cinema Draft. Also, subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Google Music, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts from. And finally, please visit us at cinemadraft.co and sign up for an invite to the relaunch. We will always have games where you can sign up, play for free, and win real money. Cinema Draft is a registered mark of Cinema Draft LLC. Both the Cinema Draft game and the CD3D decentralized app token are for entertainment purposes only.